Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 8th of December, 2019. This evening we are joined by Henry Capper, who takes his reading from James, chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, and brings us a message entitled, Pure Religion. If you have, uh, if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, please turn with me to the letter of, to, of James. Going to finish off uh, James chapter 1. My OCD gets the better of me. Couldn't leave James chapter 1 um, left un- unfinished uh, before uh, this new year. So we need to finish James chapter 1. Just a couple of verses this evening. Uh, James chapter 1 and just 26 and 27. And this is God's word through the Apostle James. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Short verses but nonetheless inspired by God and we ask him to bless as we consider these these verses in our rest of our time together this evening. In in 2012, nearly eight years ago, there was a a video that went viral on on YouTube right across the the internet. Uh, If you know what viral means, it became very popular. And it was by an an American individual called Jefferson Bethke, very unusual surname. And Jefferson was and is a a, a spoken word artist. Now, if you don't know what a spoken word artist is, it's basically someone who slowly raps. And he was a Christian and he was a blogger on the internet and gave various different opinions. And he came to prominence over one of his spoken word raps. And the name of his, of his rap, or the name of the video, was entitled as so. Why I hate religion, but love Jesus. Why I hate religion, but love Jesus. I just checked it uh, recently. I actually watched it again this week and found that it has 34 million views on just YouTube alone. This was a very popular video, 34 million views. Why I hate religion but love Jesus. And what Jefferson uh, was doing was he was communicating what really the modern world thinks about that word religion. And all the connotations that are connected with it. Jefferson, as I said, is a, is a Christian, evangelical Christian. And even he was communicating what a lot of younger Christians were, were feeling around this word, religion. Really, within his, his video, it, basically what he wants to say is religion equals rules and legalism. But Jesus equals grace and freedom. Religion equals rules and legalism. Jesus equals grace and freedom. 
And we can connect with that a little bit. And there's a lot in regards to what he says that, that's helpful. There's maybe some parts of it that we might want to uh, leave aside. But we get the, the emotion. We get what he is trying to communicate. Now, that was eight years ago. And today, religion is still a bit of a, a dirty word in our world. You can go up to somebody and I... You can ask them, are you religious? And I would hazard a guess, more than likely, they will say no. You actually could ask yourself that question and you might actually lean towards saying no because of the connotations that are connected with that word religious. But though, if you ask someone, are they spiritual? Or maybe do they have faith? You might get a different Answer. There's more of a positivity connected with spirituality and acquiring faith in our world today. Within the church, there's a tendency not to use the word religion currently. Actually, in some cases, there's a total rejection of the word and what it implies. And that's, in one sense, the heartbeat of Jefferson's video. But what I want to ask this evening is, should we reject it? Should we throw the baby out with the bathwater? Just as we think of, of defining words and what words actually mean, a simple definition of what actually religion means is it's the belief in and worship of a, a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal God. It's something that is, is higher. It's a belief system into something that is not human. Within our passage this, this evening, just these two verses, the, the Apostle James outlines what, what pure and what biblical religion looks like. He wants to say to his uh, initial hearers, but to us by extension as well, 2,000 years later, that there is a good, a pure and authentic form of religion. There's a form of religion that the Christian should actually strive toward. Not reject and rebel against, but strive toward. James, in the verses just prior to us, and maybe your memory goes back a couple of weeks ago once we considered these verses in verse 22 to 25, has forcibly driven home the point to hear the word of God, to listen to it, is to be a doer of the word of God. To hear and not do is ultimately a rejection of God's word. And it's to say that it's not important. It's to say that it has no relevance to my life. And ultimately it is to say to hear the word of God and to not respond appropriately is to say I know better than God. Now we don't think like that. We, and more than that, we don't like to think in those terms. But to look into the mirror of the word of God and then walk away and do nothing is as foolish as a person who gazes intently at their face in the mirror and within a moment of walking away has forgotten what they look like. They have forgotten what hair color they had. They have forgotten if they shaved this morning or not. It's that level of absurdity that James is talking about. For anyone to consider the, the truth of Scripture and then to do absolutely 
nothing about it is folly. It's a stark message and, and it's one that should, should initially co- confront us. It should grab our attention as we think about God's word and how we respond to it. But in, in verses 26 and 27, as we'll consider now, James issues another apostolic warning. And his warning is this. It's a warning against false religion. This time he wants to focus on the danger for an individual, for one person, if they do not take care of their words. His warning uh, to do with false religion all revolves around the words that come from our mouths. I have simply uh, two points I would love to consider uh, this evening as we, we study these incredibly relevant verses of scripture. I was struck at how relevant this is. Written 2,000 years ago, this is, it may as well have been written this morning and how much it impacts us. And the first point we want to uh, think about is, is, is quite simply connected to, to verse uh, 26 in, in, in James chapter 1. And it's this, controlled speech displays a change of heart. A controlled speech displays a changed heart. It's actually very easy uh, to fool someone into thinking that we, we know something but all we have to do is to enhance our vocabulary. I know absolutely zilch once it comes to cars. So any time that I have to go and see my mechanic, who I have to say is a wonderful and lovely man, I have to go on to Google and make sure that I know what I'm talking about. If I was to go and try and have a conversation about cars with my mechanic, I would look like a bit of a fool. I simply do not know the lingo. I do not know what where things are. I know that a car has four wheels and there's an engine somewhere within a car. I know that the, my car is petrol and I shouldn't put diesel in it. But that really is about as far as it goes in regards to my knowledge of cars. Though... As, as novel and as trivial as, as that may be, it is possible for, for us and for many people to convince others of our level of spirituality simply because of the words that we use. All you have to do is insert some theological or, or churchy words or phrases and we may convince others and actually we, actually, we can deceive ourselves. We, we, there, there's a whole host of things that I could say right now and, and I'm sure many things are coming to your mind and various words and phrases that are very associated and connected to, to Christian circles and to Christian culture. We, we, we hear people talking about, oh, that was, that was a great message tonight. That was a, that was a great word. Or we, Christians are always talking about having fellowship. I have never once heard the word fellowship outside of the Christian context. If I was to say to my football teammates that that was a great time of fellowship we had, I think they would look at me as if I had two heads on my, my shoulders. We just talk about this stuff within church circles. We talk about uh, being born again as well. There's all these different phrases and words. And I have to say them, they're, they're good in and of themselves. I'm not knocking them, but we can often hide behind those words. We've heard other people say them, 
So, oh, we think, okay, I should say them as well. Deep down, we might actually not know what fellowship means, what true biblical fellowship refers to. And on that, can I suggest that it is much, much more than simply having a cup of tea with people. There's a deep-rooted friendship and intimacy connected with fellowship. You might not actually know what makes a sermon good or bad. But there's a greater weight connected to what James the Apostle has to say in this verse. A number of weeks ago, I was down in Dublin. And it's a lovely city, especially at this time of year. I always like to go to Dublin just before Christmas to get me into the Christmas spirit and all that. And I, if you know Dublin, I was at the top, I was walking along and I was at the top of Grafton Street. And I was where Grafton Street meets St. Stephen's Green. And I, once I was at Grafton Street, I was taking left along, walking alongside St. Stephen's Green. And once I turned the corner and I was walking, I had my headphones in, all of a sudden and out of nowhere, a horse came charging down the footpath. And I have to say, for a brief moment, I was absolutely petrified. This horse was was not being tamed by anyone. It was running loose. It ended up, it slipped, it fell, and within a few moments, thankfully, its owners were able to get a hold of it and control it and attach it back to the carriage. I have to say, as as that horse was running straight to me, I was beside myself. A cold sweat came upon me. It was one of those sort of like, your life flashed before your, your eyes moments. Watching a thousand kilogram animal running wild is quite the scene. And this is the image that James is trying to evoke in our minds. And it's the idea of a a powerful horse completely out of control, running rampant. And this is how James illustrates the unbridled tongue. It's the person who, who cannot control their words. Naturally, once we think of that, we, we may tend to think of, of someone who, who gossips, might think of someone who, 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 who fabricates, somebody who, who doesn't hold on to, to promises, who lies. We might think of someone who uses their words to uplift themselves, but at the same time to, to tear down others. Though on, on a general level, the person who cannot control their tongue is the person who is simply careless with their words. They are the, the, maybe the, 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 the individual who, who dominates conversations. They, they start the conversation, they fill the conversation, and then they end the conversation. Maybe you know that type of person. And we need to pause and ask the, the humble question, is, is that me? Am I the one who is constantly dominating conversations. See, a true mark of grace, a true mark of a, of a Christian is actually the ability to say nothing. It's to allow the other person we're talking to to simply talk and for us to listen. A person like this, one who cannot 
control their tongue. They often can give an aura of, of religiosity. Often they might even come across as impressive. We may hear their fancy words and we might hear what they, they have to say about Christianity and theology and we may think, oh, they've got it all sorted. And we might actually try to emulate what they are, what, how they present themselves. But the Apostle James, and he's done this a number of times already, very bluntly and inspired by the Holy Spirit, says that that person's religion is worthless. It is not worth anything. The word that is used here in the New Testament that's um, translated into English originally from Greek implies that the idea of just having no purpose, it's devoid of truth. It actually goes as far as saying that their religion is totally useless. It is of no value. You can say all the right words all of the time, but you're deceiving yourself if they are not coming from a heart that has been transformed by the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. In one of his many encounters with the Pharisees, Jesus launches into a scathing attack on the supposed religious leaders of the day in Matthew chapter 12. And we read these verses, and this is what Jesus says in the middle of his his, his diatribe toward these towards these religious leaders verse 33 says either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit you broad of vipers how can you speak good when you're evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks the pharisees could speak good the Pharisees could say the right things. They knew their theology. They had, gone, they had went to the seminary. They had got their degree. They could say the right things, but it was all out of false motives. Their words came from unregenerate hearts. In fact, their hearts were totally opposed to God. And note what Jesus says at the end of verse 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, our words, our tongue, will inevitably reveal what is actually going on inside of us. We can maybe try our best to hide it and we can put on the brave face and we can hold it in. But inevitably, what is going on inside our hearts will come out in the words that we speak. And at this moment, we we need to call a spade a spade. And not being able to control the words that come out of our mouths and the words that we say, if we are careless with our words, is nothing short and nothing more than sin. This is why Paul will say to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And then Paul goes on to say, pausely, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So let me ask you tonight, let me ask myself as I've pondered and considered this, this, these last number of days, how, how's your religion? And what I mean by that is, how are you using your tongue? How are you using the words that are coming from your mouth? And in the world that we live in today, how are you using the words that you are um, putting on social media and using to send text messages and so on. Is corruption coming from it? 
Are you always speaking words that are just generally negative? Are you constantly critical, offering your opinion of, of judgment and condemnation? Does it overspill into gossip and, and slander? I have to be honest, and I, I would wager bet that most of you have experienced this as well. Some of the most scandalous and hurtful things that have been said about me have actually came from the mouths of Christians. And it's something that mars our testimony and it's something that hurts deeply to those who hear those words. Maybe tonight God is, is calling you to, to repent if you're a believer in Christ of your sin, to confess that you haven't been using your words wisely recently. Maybe in, even in this past week, times of uh, moments have came flooding to your memory of moments where you know you didn't use your words well. But as we look at what Paul says in the latter stage of, of Ephesians 4.29, um, do you use your words to build up, to encourage others? The people want to go to talk to you because you, they know you, they're going to be encouraged when they have a conversation with you. Or are you the proverbial Victor Meldrew and everything's down in the dumps, everything's depressing? We are called to encourage others, to uplift. We are called to speak truth in love. Do your words give grace to those who hear you? And what a convicting question that is. Are they saturated in the grace of the, of the good news that you know of the gospel? Do you speak good news whenever words leave your mouth? It's a challenge for us all, I'm sure. But let's think about our second point this evening. So what does pure religion look like for James in verse 27? Well, true religion, religion that God accepts, cannot exist apart from caring for orphans and widows in their affliction or their distress. Now, what is James? why does James refer to orphans and, and widows? Well, they represented the most unfortunate and helpless within the Jewish culture. And it was the responsibility of, of God's children to extend help to them. You can, um, no prizes for guessing, but the reason why James is explicitly saying this to these churches, these dispersed Christians, is because this was not happening if you recall, um, there's one of the main themes in regards to James' writing of this letter is, is the difference between the rich and the poor and how the rich were, were, were simply not um, doing what they were supposed to do. This wasn't taking place. The rich weren't looking after um, the, those who were in need, but were actually just helping themselves and were content in that. Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 29 says this. And Moses says, And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your town, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. As, as we read, as we read those words from Moses, God is the defender, God is the sustainer, the strength, the provider for such people, those who are the down and out, those who, who need help, who are, who are dependent on others. 
And so likewise God's hands and feet are his people in demonstrating his care to these people. There's, there's simply nobody too low. There is nobody too poor. There's nobody too needy. There's nobody too alienated that is not entitled to the love of the Christian community. We cannot put up barriers to who and who is not able to avail the love of God. We as God's children are called to embody the love of God because we have first-hand experience of that love. And one of the reasons why we, we do this is because we remember our past. As Christians, we, we do not forget what we once were. That's why I read uh, Ephesians chapter 2 in, in, at the beginning of our time together. As we Those first four verses, as we looked prior to conversion, what our spiritual state was. Because spiritually speaking, before the, the but God, uh, we were orphans. We were void of a heavenly father. We were such widows. We were the sojourner roaming the land without hope. Until God stepped in. And set his love upon us. Until God opened our hearts. And revealed his goodness to us. See a mark of a true authentic Christian. Is that they do not forget their past. They don't wallow in self pity. But they are mindful of where God has taken them from. And we recall the, the hopelessness of our previous spiritual condition. And how helpless we were. And if it were not for God, we would still be in that dreadful situation. That we would still be, spiritually speaking, dead in trespasses and sins. But the child of God is not left. They have experienced the love of God. They know it to be true. And they now live life out of that narrative. They live life compelled and called out of what God has done for them. So it's the response that we are called to, to offer our care to the most helpless in society. We don't look at them and we, as, as many will, will see them as burdens or as potential problems or not worth the hassle. But we look at those and we see image bearers of God. We see people who need help. We need to note what James is not saying at this point as well. James is not saying, if you are a Christian, this is one way you can help. Among the many options that are out there, this is just maybe one of the options that you can choose and select from. Now what James is saying here is, if you are a Christian, you are obligated to look after orphans and widows, the needy of society. This is the type of religion that God accepts. God is the father to the fatherless. And he shows it through his redeemed people. His bride, his church, the people that he calls his own. In the final part of verse 27, it actually begins a segue into what James is going to talk about in chapter 2. And that's the, the sin of showing uh, favoritism or the sin of partiality and that is a characteristic of the world and once he talks about the world it's about outside of the church 
outside of the, the, the redeemed people of God. And, and his final remark in, in chapter 1 about what pure and undefiled religion looks like is that an individual is to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now it does not say abstain, i.e. that it totally remove yourself from anything that is perceived as, as worldly. No, he's not saying that. He's, just, he's saying to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, there's many connotations and applications that, that may arise in your head whenever uh, you hear that. Um, though that. Let's just take a bird's eye view as we come to a close this evening. James is calling followers of Jesus to live lives that are unblemished and distinct from the world. They don't abstain from the world. They don't remove themselves and just come into holy huddles and don't uh, interact with the world. No, that's not what James is saying. In fact, he's saying quite the opposite. He's saying that Christians' lives are to reflect the heart of their heavenly Father. They are to live to bring worship to him, to make him known, as they have received the same intimate care of God calling them, revealing himself to them, that they do that likewise to their surrounding neighbours. They live lives that are not based around their wants and desires, but what their God compels them to do. Really, in summary and in essence, what James is calling the believers, it's a a call to holiness. It's a call to to lay our lives down. It's a call to, to take up our cross daily and to follow Jesus each day. That is what true religion looks like. And can I say that it is the best way to live life. See, this is where true satisfaction lies. Live in a world where it's very egocentric. It's about our happiness. It's about our feelings. We're put into the centre of the world. And that's just narcissistic. God, through his word, tells us, you want true life? You want life to abundance? Follow me and live according to how I have set out. This is where true satisfaction and contentment lies. It it comes in in following and living the way God has intended us to do. So what does it mean uh, to be religious? Well, it isn't so much of being devoid of grace and enforcing rules and legalism, or by living in a, in a bygone era, or abstaining from everything. Nope, not at all. According to James, and according to the word of God, it's actually the opposite. To be biblically religious is to set our agendas to the side, to live lives that embody and reflect the gracious compassion of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Dear God, we, we come before you and we're, we're humbled by, by who you are. You're the God who has, has called us back to yourself. You're the God who has intervened in our lives. You're the God who is rich in mercy. 
Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its relevance to our lives. Would we heed what we have considered from your word? Would we grasp the the impact our words can have? Would we be inclined to be uh, gospel speakers, speakers of good news, that we our words would be saturated in grace, that they would be used to edify and to, to build up, not to strike and tear down. Lord, help us as we think of what religion truly is, that we would live pure and undefiled lives, unblemished, Lord, if we need to take a moment and to confess our sin, would we do that? Because we know that you, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Thank you for Jesus who has made that possible. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.